Good afternoon and welcome to the Ash Podcast. I have two great friends with me this afternoon, Paul Brown and Roger Armstrong. And believe it or not, we actually decided to do this podcast before the Wolves game. So this is not a, a knee-jerk reaction at all to, um, or at least the planning the podcast wasn't what we say might be. Um, the podcast is called We're Not Exactly Rocket Science Scientists. And that's um, down to a great com- uh, cartoonist, Gary Larson, who used to do The Far Side. And they were very popular, if you recall, when um, actually probably last time we were winning stuff regularly in the 80s because everybody had a far side gallery um, calendar on their desks. Anyway, enough reminiscing. Roger, Paul, hello. Hello. Good to be here. (laughs) Hello, Paul. Hello, Paul. (laughs) Two Pauls. Right then. Uh, what, What can we say about last night that hasn't already been said? Probably the most worrying thing is um, to see players who, who uh, clearly weren't putting a, a shift in, um, strolling around, um, very reminiscent of, of some of the performances I've seen from teams who ended up sacking their manager um, shortly afterwards. Um, and yeah, very disorganised, very disheartening, very depressing, basically, all in all. I think that about sums it up. What comfort do you take from the second half? Not much. Um, I'm, I was very surprised he went with the system that he did. Uh, I don't think you go to Wolves and play with a, a two in, in midfield. I think that's a mistake. Yeah. Uh, so at least he realised and, and changed it. And we all know he's capable of um, making little tactical tweaks in game that um, make a difference. But, you know, with, without some of the, the key personnel, it was always going to be an uphill task to turn that one around, I think. Um, but I don't see a huge amount of fight or quality uh, in the team suddenly, and that has to be a, a big worry for him, I think. Are they um, are they 100% behind him? I think the, the collapse uh, against Watford and some of the performances last night probably suggest that he's got some um, issues motivating those players personally, but... Um, the next few weeks will, will certainly be interesting because it gets a lot harder from here. You, you look at the teams they've got to play before Christmas and, um, well, Spurs with a new manager bounce next and then you get City, Brentford away won't be easy either, the Derby and Arsenal. And that's before you, that's the beginning of December. It doesn't really get a lot easier after that, to be honest, either. So um, he'll have to find solutions quite quickly, but how he does that, I'm not sure. Oh, yeah, I mean, I, Roger, sorry, just before you, you come in, Paul, can I just pick you up on something that um, yeah. the, the idea that he, he's finding it, or rather the players are finding it difficult to be motivated under him. Um, 
I understand that he's not necessarily an easy manager to play for because he doesn't, you know, he doesn't treat you with um with with kid gloves. He's you know from the school of um uh, hard love, I, I suspect. Uh, is that something that's char- characterised his management in, in in other clubs? Yeah, he's clearly a um a controvert, well, a confrontational and nitpicky manager who likes to criticise more than he likes to put his arm around you and make you 10 feet tall. Some players respond to that, some players don't. But certainly from past experience, it hasn't always worked at, at um, the other clubs he's, he's been at. And it's a, a big uh, change from Ancelotti, the, the sort of gentleman um, uh, gentleman manager who, who will very rarely... Uh, rant and rave and pick pick players up on things. He's, he's much more of a, a carrot rather than stick manager. But Benitez is kind of the opposite. So whether there's a, a bit of a culture shock there and they're still getting used to that or not, I don't know. But you know, he did start the season quite well. Um, you could see there was a game plan there. You could see that the players were, were buying into the style and the formation and the tactics that he'd chosen. But I always felt um, in those first few weeks that the danger was uh, Rafa was exposing a, a back four that probably isn't quite up to playing that that way too much. And that once teams started to work Everton out, they, they would find a way through a, a dreadfully unbalanced midfield. And uh, that, that does seem to be taking place now, really. Hmm. <clears throat> I mean, I think there were three main negatives to last night. Forget about the team selection and, and and various other things that might or might not have been done differently by the manager. I just think on the back of those diabolical last fifteen minutes against Watford, for us to have started so appallingly and put in such an absolutely incompetent, insipid first half was very very worrying. The second thing that concerns me is that Damari Gray and Andros Townsend arrived um, with a like a breath of fresh air, really. Um, added energy and commitment and enthusiasm and positivity to everything, that's disappeared in a puff of smoke. They were both anonymous last night, particularly Gray, who missed a very good chance. And and it seems like their confidence, or they've been sucked into this Everton morass of mediocrity. And the final thing was Coleman having a hissy fit from the first minute to the last and showing absolutely zero leadership, setting zero example. Um, you know, I, he was, I, I thought he had a really, really poor game. He was absent from a number of attacks, caught out of position and just picking a fight in the last two or three minutes with no one for no real reason. I, I thought that was really worrying and, and picking up on what Paul said, you know, that this lack of spirit in the team, uh, this lack of motivation, which we've seen this crowd of players, the vast majority of them do exactly this to Marco Silva, Carlo Ancelotti, you know, they don't have a real history of showing balls when balls are needed. So those those three things really caused me uh, to be to be increasingly concerned. Three defeats in a row. Any team can lose three three games in a row, but the manner of these defeats, particularly the last two, really really pitiful. One one thing um, I would say though that, that is different from last season, as dull and negative and pragmatic and, and defensive as as it turned into under Carlo, I still saw players putting a shift in and desperately trying to cling on to whatever they could claw out of a game. I don't really see that this season. They they look confused. They don't yeah. look um, 
they don't look on board with it right now. They were to begin the season. I, I have to say that they, they were those those first few results. You could see it was it was clicking, and they were, um, you know, fully behind what the manager was tr- was trying to do. But the way you see them arguing amongst themselves and strolling across their own penalty area and making the sort of mistakes they've been making without um, much comeback from anyone. Uh, I think is a, is a big concern. I, d- I don't remember seeing this last season under Ancelotti. No, it's a fair point. This has happened quickly. Um, and, and there was a very, you know, there's just almost a sense of inevitability when that second goal went in. I mean, uh, well, what was the game um, where the third goal, oh, Brighton, of course, at the, at the weekend playing at Anfield, you know, Liverpool could have gone 3-0 up. The VAR decision went in their favour and Brighton rolled their sleeves up and came back to 2-2. Now, that first goal that was ruled out last night, you might have thought would have been a wake-up call to Everton. So, crikey, we got away with one there. Come on, let's get, our, let's get ourselves organised. Let's defend properly. Let's clear our lines. But no, you know, inevitably, inevitably five, ten minutes later, one nil down and then two nil down. You know, it was just, you could see it coming. And it was uh, just, just I, I don't know, it's a sort of perfect storm, isn't it? You know, the players don't have the right attitude. Our key players, the spine of the team, if you will, if you call that Mina de Cure DCL, completely missing. Uh, Richarlison isolated up front. Didn't think he had a very good game last night, but, you know, he was living off scrap. So what can you expect? And, and, and a manager who, you know, didn't necessarily come in with 100% goodwill. Uh, and, and now that patience of, of the fans is, is kind of running out a bit very, very quickly. I can see this unravelling very quickly. Yeah, I wouldn't disagree have to say and, and it has unraveled for him unfortunately at a lot of the clubs he's managed over the, the last few years if, if you look at what he's done um, in terms of his track record before he took the, the Everton job I remember um, covering him every week at, at Chelsea and, and people remember back now I think a little bit through rose-tinted glasses thinking he did a good job there because look qualified for the Champions League won the Europa League you think on the face of it that's a that's a great job, right? It looks like it on paper, yeah. but people forget he lost a League Cup semi-final to Swansea. He picked constant fights with some of the club's greatest players, and ultimately they were they were European champions. European champions, whilst they were struggling at the time in, in the Champions League. You know when he went there, four points off the top of the table. Um, at one point, they, at one point they slipped to sixteen points adrift, and then eventually he qualified them for the Champions League, but with a game to spare. I think they were third when he took over and third when he left. Um, you know, even the Europa League win, they were the best team in the competition that year, having slipped out of the Champions League. So, I don't know. I'm not sure his, his track record really over the last few years um, has been good enough to, to warrant getting a job this big again. I think... No, I don't agree. I mean, this safe pair of hands, game management, make us hard to beat, set us up properly. I mean, that's just nonsense, isn't it? When you decide that a man who hasn't played two year, for two years, you decide to start him in a midfield two away to Wolves. I mean, that's just, that's the stuff of under 12 selection, isn't it, Paul? It's just a ludicrous decision to pick Gabane. It's well, hung out to dry. Yeah, I do think, you know, if he's going to be in the squad, he's got to be used at some point. Possibly that game was not the, the right one for him, but it, Rafa clearly wanted to shake things up a bit and doesn't seem to have any trust in in Tom Davis, which is, I think a lot of people don't have much trust in, in Tom Davis. He, he was partic- 
particularly bad in the in the Watford collapse, wasn't he? Um, yeah, he was. But having played him, it, it, it seemed pretty obvious pretty quickly that he shouldn't have started, should he, Gabami? He's, he's nowhere near um, Premier League worthy at the moment, whether that's just because of his, his confidence is still shot or, or what, it's, it's hard to say, but um, it, it was a mistake and at least he realised and, and corrected it. But, you know, yeah, a strange decision in, in the end, really. Can I, can I just ask about injuries as well? You know, Paul, you cover a lot of football and, and we seem to have gotten, yeah, maybe a bit unlucky with our share of injuries. And Kabamin's been unlucky, you know, apparently he hadn't really suffered an injury before we signed him. And then he's had two very bad ones, which have seen him miss so much football. But Delph never fit. Um, Mina seems to be in and out of the team. We've now got Dina injured. DCL's taking forever to come back. Richarlison's been out for a while. Dekure, okay, broken bone. Yeah, could happen. But, you know, we seem not only to get more than our share of injuries, but we seem to be quite slow to get players back to full fitness, Paul. Can you shed any light on that compared to other clubs and what they do? Well, I'm not a medical expert, but it has been suggested in the past that they hadn't particularly dealt with some of the um, um, injuries in, in, in the camp particularly well. I don't think um, Gabarmin's was, was handled brilliantly. Um, that's not to say that Everton made it worse or anything like that, but um, I don't think he was in, entirely happy with um, um, the, the treatment. I think Everton probably accept themselves that they didn't treat that in, in the best possible way. Um, it's hardly the, the guy's fault, is it, that he's, he's spent most of his time here injured and you have to feel a little bit sorry for him. But yeah. um, you, you can question whether they did their homework on him really before he signed because... Um, I think the, the suspicion is that he wasn't in, entirely right when they when they brought him in, and incredibly unlucky for him to to break down so early. But you know, possibly with, with better management, that that might not have happened. Right. I mean, that was in the days of Marco Silva, wasn't it? And my my understanding is that he, you know, Silva played him against um, medical advice when he when he joined the club. He was uh, the the view was that he needed an operation um, on his whatever thigh muscle it was uh, before he started playing football, and um, obviously we didn't do that. Uh, I think at, at the time they were struggling for numbers, weren't they? Yeah, well, yeah, if yeah. I recall. So when when you're the manager and, and you you know results are are going to keep you in a job or. or um, cost you your job I suppose that's the pressure you're under but I think he made a mistake didn't he basically and it's it's not helped Gabarmin at all and, and in a sense although not from a physical point of view um, or from an injury point of view playing Gabarmin last night was almost very similar circumstances wasn't it that, uh, I think Benitez was de- desperate for for a, re- uh, a result um, and that's why he was in as you say he doesn't seem to or he seems to have lost faith in Tom Davis probably after the Watford game, justifiably. Um, but it was very obvious, wasn't it, within a couple of, within a few minutes that he just wasn't match ready. No, it, it was. I mean, <clears throat> I understand that it's difficult and Tom didn't have a good game against Watford, but we did have a fit Fabian Delph and obviously Luca Dini was injured and hindsight's a wonderful thing, but I, th- I think to change so much of the, uh, of the back four and a new centre-back pairing, Holgate's just not up to it. Holgate's not a Premier League centre-back, I'm sorry. Um, and to bring him alongside Michael Keane is like, you know, 
two two nervous kids there at, at, at the centre of defence. At least leave Godfrey alongside Keane, put Delph on at left back, and play Tom Davis and Allen in the middle. I think that would have been a much more solid setup from from day one, from minute one. Um, and, and you know, Godfrey, <clears throat> he's played all across the back four. He's confused in terms of what he's doing, whether he's going forward, whether he should be passing back to his keeper. Horrific back pass. Could Holgate get to it? Seemed to give up quite easily when I watched it on the replay, but it was just self-inflicted. And I think we're in that situation where, is it the players? Is it the manager? Was it the setup? Are we just unlucky with injuries? And how we split that responsibility between players and managers, uh, between players and the manager, is is the $64,000 question, I guess. There's another thing to throw into that, Roger, um, particularly the second goal. If you're playing somebody at left back who's right footed, oh, yeah. uh, the position that he got himself into before he made the pass back, a left footed player would have, even if there wasn't a great deal in front of him, would, would have probably passed that ball down the line yeah. in, into the wall's half. And um, clearly didn't. He turned back on himself and he had nowhere else to go, really, other than either Holgate, who appeared to be uh, marked anyway, and the goalkeeper. And that brings it, throws in the next element, which is uh, the side that we put out last night was a, a reflection of, yes, our injuries, but it was also a reflection of our recruitment and our decisions to allow certain players to go out, out of the club to, you know, to not have really, well, to not have a left back uh, in cover. Um, and one might argue we don't even have a right back to cover because Coleman probably on performance levels at the moment doesn't justify his place in the team. No. But clearly John Joe Kenny is not um, viewed as being sufficiently strong or sufficiently good uh, to take up that position. Yeah, I mean, look, it's an absolute dog's dinner, isn't it? You know, we don't have a cover, a professional um, a specialist left back as cover. And Joe, John, John Joe Kenny isn't deemed good enough. I and mean, why was he even on the bench? What was he going to do bringing John Joe Kenny on? What on earth was that substitution? But maybe John Joe Kenny could add a little more than Salomon Rondon. Um, that's probably not difficult. I, I think it's extraordinary to have a director of football and such a poorly balanced squad. I mean, two, two players for every position. Somebody's having a laugh somewhere. Um, you know, we, we don't have two right backs. We don't have two left backs. And, and we just don't have cover for two or three players. And once a couple of them are out, the whole team just falls apart. I do think part of the um, part of the argument there, it's, that's all, all perfectly true and, and, and fine, but I do think that the manager came in and said he wanted wingers um, and he was given wingers. And that's, that's the position they, they prioritised in, in the market. That may... That may now, looking back, be a mistake. I mean, Gray and, and Townsend have done really well, haven't they? And he, he got what he wanted. But if that was at the expense of bringing in uh, cover at, at, at fullback with limited funds, then you could say now we're, we're maybe paying for that decision, possibly. Um, it is what it is. Yeah, and, and you could extend the... Uh the argument about uh, defensive cover uh, to midfield, and you can extend it, obviously, to the fact that we brought uh, Rondon in for uh, cover for DCL. Um, ridiculous, ridiculous signing. I mean, you know, let's talk about fitness. Let's talk about professionalism. Let's talk about Rafa Benitez, who's managed Liverpool and won the Champions League and managed Chelsea and, you know, and managed in Italy and managed Real Madrid. 
you know, Salomon Rondon is not fit enough to play Premier League football and signing him was absolute act of folly. Uh, Jean-Philippe Gavanin was not fit enough to play in that game last night and selecting him was just utterly ridiculous. And this is a man who told us that Anthony Gordon doesn't have 90 minutes in his legs. You know, Anthony Gordon is a young man, fit and healthy. Um, and the fact that he has to be taken off and yet Salomon Rondon stays on the pitch for 90 minutes is just an insult to our intelligence. And so that basic level of, you know, professionalism that we were told we were getting with Benitez just isn't there in my book. I, I think these, these selections, the signings, it just doesn't make any sense. It's about fitness, putting athletes onto a pitch who can perform. And he's just not using the resources, albeit limited resources at his disposal, to, to the very best effect. Yeah, I don't think you can you can use the ex- the excuse of injuries too much, really. I mean, Decore has obviously been a huge part of, of what they've been doing this season, and also um, not having Calvert Lewin there completely changes yeah. um, the, the way you play. But it's only really those two, isn't it? Would you call? I wouldn't call Yerimina a, a key part of the spine of, of this team. It's, it's really only those two, and yes, it shows the the wafer thin nature of the squad and the fact that he hasn't really. Rafa has not really had a lot to play with and hasn't been able to bring a huge amount of players in. But I do think this team should be performing a lot better um, than it is. I've seen a lot of bad teams this season and I've seen a lot of bad teams over the last few years. And this is one of the worst teams I've seen <laughs> over, over the last couple of games, I've got, I've got to say. I've seen players down tours on a manager, um, desperate to get rid of him. And I've seen players clearly not putting a, a shift in. And as I said before, I think the most worrying thing about the last two games, the collapse against Watford and, and most of last night, was just the lack of fight and energy and enthusiasm that you could see on the pitch. And that, that smacks of um, deep internal problems for me. And the other thing that worried me uh, pre-match was the leaking of the team. Um, you know, I think it was two o'clock that I was told from a reliable source, um, who shall remain nameless, but it was widely circulated over Twitter that, that Dini was injured, that Godfrey would play, Gabamin would come in. The team was leaked. I mean, was, how, how does that happen, Paul? Either of you? Uh, well, it ha- happens at, at, at some clubs. It's, it's, never a, it's never a good thing. West Ham had a huge problem with that for a very long time and, and eventually managed to, to mostly shut it down. Um, it's not something I get terribly worked up on over myself. I mean, I'm, I'm sure, I, I doubt how much of a huge advantage that would have been, um, you know, if, if Wolves were even particularly aware of that and, and looking at it and changing their game plan or anything. I don't think they needed to, really. I think that the team, whatever team Everton had put out, if they're going to put a performance like that in without any desire or energy or um, grit at all, I, I don't think it would have mattered whether Wolves had known the lineup before or not, they still would have lost. Yeah, I just thought, thought that it meant, you know, all wasn't well in the camp, that, that people thought it would be helpful. To, Possible. Possible. Why, would you, why would you leak it? Was it deliberate? Was it deliberate to sort of manage fans' expectations or something? You know, we had a problem with it, didn't we? And then we did, it, it did stop because um, the team was, was, was leaked quite consistently over a period uh, of time. Uh, 12 months or so back and this is the first time that it's been released or, or leaked quite so early I, I just thought that was another sign of unrest within the camp a lack of a lack of togetherness isn't it you know it's a lack of it, it's a lack of shared objectives it's a lack of team spirit and whether you know however you dress it up that, that that's not good in a in a very very competitive league 
Well, I haven't heard or, or been told that it was leaked deliberately by someone who's trying to undermine the club. So I wouldn't like to say that that was the case, but it, it is perfectly possible. These things do sometimes happen. It, sometimes it can be as simple as a, an agent of one of the players involved talking to someone in confidence and, and that player and that person then, then betrays it by telling someone else and, and word gets out quickly. But there, there, there can be many reasons why, why a team's leaked and, and I haven't heard in particular, that there was a, a, an underhand reason for deliberately leaking that one. So let, let's see what happens at the Spurs game, I guess. If, if we take, take a step back then from uh, what happened last night, uh, I mean, classic sort of, uh, sort of crisis management would be you, uh, you identify what the immediate problems are um, and you uh, object, objectively you assess what resources you have uh, in order to close down those problems, both in the short term, but also then in the in, in the longer term, what adjustments to your business or in terms of sports, what adjustments to your side you need to make, either in terms of personnel or tactics or um, motivation, etc. Where 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 do you think we are? If that is the process that, that might happen after after a game like last night. Well, I mean, I presume you know. Uh, by nine o'clock this morning, there was a report on the chairman's desk from Marcel Brands because he tells us that he writes a report after every game. Um, and uh, Bill tells us that he speaks to Marcel and he speaks to the manager and he speaks to Farhad and Denise three or four times a day. So you'd like to think that the club is is going through that process. Um, but objectively, what what are they going? What what can they do about it? What can um... And, you know, I am a big fan of the director of football model, but what can a Marcel Brands do uh, in November to change what's going to happen between now and, and the end of December? Well, look, what Marcel Brands could and should have done is found a right back cover. And what he could and should have done is not let the only left back cover go away on loan. Um, that, that would have been a good starting point. Yeah, but we are where we are. Well, no, but that's not good enough. I don't accept that we are where we are because we obviously are. But but Marcel Brands has a, two relatively short periods of time that he can do recruitment, the summer window and the January window. And he's just not doing his job properly to, to, to provide us with adequate resources and cover for positions and dealing with eventualities that may or may not come along, such as injuries, lack of form, lack of fitness. So, yes, we are where we are. You're absolutely right. What can Marcel Brands do between now and the January transfer window? Absolutely nothing. Absolutely nothing, because he has done pretty much not not a great deal for the last three and a half years. You know, we don't have talent coming through the academy. People are chomping at the bit to come in because they're playing left back or right back for the under 23s or they're playing up front or in central midfield for the under 23s and demanding a selection into the first 11, which is depleted because of injuries. So I'm afraid Marcel Brands, you know, the jury is is well and truly out for me. Uh, and probably approaching a vote as to as to whether or not it's time to, uh, to to wave goodbye to him because I can't see him adding any value whatsoever. There's um there's three things I'd I'd like to see happen, which happen at most other clubs when when they're struggling. I'd like to see someone higher up in the club taking a bit more responsibility for what's going on. Um, yep. In in the days when Chelsea used to go through mini crisis after mini crisis. Abramovich would turn up himself at the training ground and let everyone know that this isn't good enough, personally. I, I do think someone from the Everton hierarchy, whether that's the owner or Brands, 
needs to be in, in the dressing room this week saying that. I mean, the, I'm sure the players and the manager are aware of it themselves anyway, but it, it's, it has an effect and it, it, it makes a, a difference sometimes to hear it from someone higher up in the club. So I'd like to see that happen. Um, mentioning the owner, I, I do think it's very important that the owner at least shows his face at the next game after this little run, because you don't always tend to see Mashiri very much in and around the club. Um, how hands-on he is, he's, he's open to debate. He's renowned for um, leaving the people who run the club day-to-day to make most of the decisions. But I think at, at least he should be there, at, at the very least, really, for the, the next one, just to show that you know that the owner is watching. And to turn the, the focus back on, on brands for a minute, I, I think the manager and the players probably need to, hit, to hear that help is coming in January, because at, at the moment... That's a little bit up in the air, isn't it? I mean, when when the window closed um, and Hammers was still there, uh, the the wages they had on on the on the books were were a problem. Well, those wages aren't there now. So does that mean Everton can go out and there will be money to spend to sign creative reinforcements or a backup for the the areas that we mentioned that they're they're uh, struggling in? I, I can remember in in the days when when Moyes was, was there. In at least two seasons when, when Moyes was in charge and they had gone through a down spell and were struggling, there were points in that season where he'd say, don't worry, help is coming in January. And, and it did. And they would turn things around. That wasn't the only reason why they turned things around. But I think it, it helps to hear that if you're, if you're a player. What would you like to see happen, Paul? Well, it depends how much money they've got to spend, but... I think you know the, the deficiencies in the in the squad are, are obvious. Um, in in the short term, I'd like to see three playing in midfield. I don't think it, it's viable to be exposing any of the current centre backs to the um, uh, in the way that they are being exposed at the moment. Basically, I don't think playing the way Benitez is playing helps them at all. I think it, for for all the defenders Everton have. Say, say for argument's sake, you, you can play Keane and Godfrey if you have a fully fit, a fully fit back four to choose from. That that seems to be the um, the two he would pick, right? If if you have Keane and Godfrey attacking the ball on the edge of their own box with cover in front of them, they are very good defenders. They are not good defenders when they are faced with players running at them through wide open spaces in midfield. They don't cope with it very well. Godfrey, whether it's because he's still um, trying to get over the after effects of, of COVID or not. Uh, has really His form has really fallen off a cliff. It's not helped him that he's being moved around a lot again still, but his decision-making is the, the bigger issue really than his his fitness. Is he making bad decisions because he hasn't shaken off COVID completely and, and isn't entirely confident in his own ability and, and fitness? We don't know, but um, I think the root of it still, and it was last season as well really, is that, that midfield and, and without... Without Decorey in there, I think you have to play three midfielders. Against, I watched Spurs against Man United, and we, we could see a completely different Spurs in, in their next match. But I watched them against Man United, and that game was won in, in midfield. Solskjaer picked five defenders, but he picked battlers to have a go at the Spurs midfield. And Spurs did nothing, really, at all. They couldn't cope with it. Um, I think Everton would have to do something quite quite similar. So in the short term, I'd like to see that happen. In, in the long term, they're going to need reinforcements. But whether there is the money for that or not, I, I, I wonder. And whoever they do 
managed to convince to, to come in January is not going to be a, a, a game-changing 30, 35 million pound player, I would suspect. So, um, yeah, Brands is going to be having to pull rabbits out of hats, I think, to, to find someone who, who makes a, a massive difference. Paul, you talked about a crisis, and this is a this is a discussion that goes on every day on Everton Twitter, in terms of responsibility and responsibility for performances, responsibility for um, you know how the how the club is 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 performing. Um, you know where does that sit with in your mind? Uh, does it sit with the players? Does it sit with the manager? Does it sit with the director of football? Does it sit with the board, or does it sit with Mashiri? That's to Paul number one. <laughs> All right. Well, if I'm, if I'm not sure I'm number one, but um, I'll, I'll answer. Uh, I, I'm a great believer in sort of hierarchical structures within within companies, within organisations. So you start at the very top, and the people at the very top, or in the case of a business that's owned by one individual, they set the objectives and they um, communicate the standards by which they expect that business to operate. Um, and that's fine. That's what you should do. But then you have a duty as a business owner or as a club owner to provide the resources that are uh, commensurate with uh, what you think your objectives and your ambitions and what you hope to achieve. Um, and those resources don't necessarily just mean cash. They mean yeah. having the right management stru- structure and they mean having the right people to execute whatever it is that you expect of them. And I think what we're seeing and what we've seen over the five years uh, of Mashiri being at the club is, is that element just doesn't exist. And so we are... Which fully, element? The resources or the or what the targets are? The, the pers- I think the personnel and the structure and the communication as to what is expected uh, of the people that have... Um, charged with running the, running the organisation, both on and off the pitch. Um, I just don't think that exists. Or if it does exist, then the people that uh, are supposed to be doing things that Mashiri wants them to do are just not very good at doing it. And if they're not very good at doing it, then why are they still in the organisation? If you look on the pitch, in a sense, Mashiri has done that. He's brought people in. He brought When he brought Ronald Koeman in, there was a clearly defined three-year plan, which, although Mashiri didn't say it himself, Ronald Koeman uh, laid laid the plan out, um, and he achieved what he was supposed to achieve in the first year. Then, fa- obviously, failed very quickly thereafter uh, in in that disastrous start of the second season after after that disastrous summer. Um, but other than that, I don't think there has ever been, or the, it's not apparent at least, uh, both in terms of what's said, but also in terms of how managers have behaved as to what, as to what the plan is, if indeed there is a plan. And, and that, to me, is, is the big issue. And until that, and I'm just speaking personally here, based on my experience of, of running organisations, un, until that element is uh, fixed, everything else is, is, is just down to chance. And if you have good luck, then you might succeed. But if you have a, a period of bad luck, like we're having at the moment in terms of injuries, in terms of, you know, some players that we've bought haven't quite performed or managers that we've brought in haven't quite been the managers that we thought they were, or they've been offered something remarkable, like going back to Real Madrid. 
all, when all these events happen, you've got nothing really to back back up the organization. You've got nothing to fall back on. Um, no, no plan, no sort of no route, no, no real objective. And I think I think that I think what we're seeing on the pitch is, is a symptom of, of all of these things. That you know, largely we've got okay, we've got Marcel brands, but it's depending upon who you speak to, it might be that either he's totally incompetent, which is one one view, or it might be that actually he's not allowed to do the job that he's supposed to do. Which obviously then brings in other questions like, well, if you're not allowed to do the job that you're supposed to do, why do you stay in a job? Why do you sign a the second contract as he, as he did um you've so we're we're in, we're in this position that if we if we don't get that leadership and that leadership has to come from my perspective from Mashiri, uh then we're just going to we're just going to continue as we are and benitez might be skilled enough um to get us through this period uh but he might not and on on the evidence uh, that's coming out at the moment. It seems that he might not be, both in terms of uh, tactically, in terms of uh, team selection, but um, Paul, as, as you said uh, very early on in this podcast, possibly in terms of being able to motivate the people that he's got around him. Yeah, it, it seems to me. I wouldn't disagree with any of that. It just seems to me that Everton seems to be in, in a bit of a holding pattern this season because of the stadium. Everything for Mashiri at the moment is dictated on how he's um, going to, to get the investment for the stadium. Yeah. Um, I think you can trace the decision really to give the job to Benitez back to that too. It looked on, on the face of it a sound business decision in that Benitez knows the Premier League. He's in theory a, a safe pair of hands. He's not someone who's going to overly rock the boat and you would expect you know, safety and stability with him. Um, Unfortunately, after three straight defeats, that, that may not be looking quite so clever. And, and if, if it continues, then I, I don't think Mashiri's in a position building the stadium that he is to allow that to go on into a situation where the club could be sucked into any kind of battle at the bottom of the table. He can't allow that to happen, which is why um, I don't think Benitez's position is as secure as, as some people think. I think it, he's a long way from you know, being under under serious threat of, of the sack right now. But if you look at the run of games he's got, if it's not turned around by Christmas, Mashiri can't really afford to have a club um, in, in a position where it, it, it's in danger of going down. I don't think Everton will go down this season at all. I've got no doubt that um, at, at some point they'll, they'll finally manage to claw enough points together to stay up. But I think if the danger is there, if the threat of it is around at Christmas time, I don't think Mashiri will be will be hanging around too long. You don't, sorry, you don't think Benitez will be hanging around, not Mashiri. Well, I don't think I don't think Mashiri will be hanging around too long to make a decision. Oh, okay. Like yeah. <laughs> right. When Kuman was fired, when Kuman was fired, and um, the, the the dreaded uh, Allardyce was was appointed, you know, the the story there was we needed Allardyce to save us from relegation. The reality was that we were eight at the time of Allardyce's first game in charge, weren't we? Um, and, and you know he's he's prone to knee-jerk reactions, um, Mashiri. You can argue this is the other debate, isn't it, between stability, the need for stability, the need to develop something and, and see a plan through, uh, in the in the light of you know the demands of modern football, which is three defeats in a row and the manager's under pressure, whether that's 
you know, the manager of Aston Villa, the manager of Tottenham, now sacks, the manager of Manchester United, the manager of Watford, who's been sacked, you know, and the manager of Everton. Um, this is this is reality. And, and I completely agree with you, Paul. The lack of a plan is, is just so conspicuous by its absence. You could argue, perhaps even, I think, as I've said before, that Everton is the only Premier League club without a plan, without any kind of plan whatsoever, uh, whether that's developing uh, kids through the academy, whether it's focusing on cups, whether it's simply Premier League survival, whether it's expiring to get into the top eight, the top six or the top four. We literally have no plan. But the problem with a plan in such a fickle business as football is events get in the way. And, and so here we are now with events, injuries, bad results, fan discontent coming to you know this perfect storm and I think it might even be out of Mashiri's hands. You talk about Christmas, Paul. I think I think Benitez will struggle to make it to the end of November. I, I just can see Spurs winning. I can see us losing to Manchester City away. And I can see Liverpool putting three or four pastors. If those three things happen, I just don't see where he can go. Roger. I think sometimes you mentioned Spurs, and it is sometimes about the direction of travel rather than where you actually find yourselves. I mean... Before the United game, I think Spurs were three or four points away from the, the Champions League places. Yeah. Um, Nuno had been named manager of the month for August and, and they were top of the league then. But the direction of travel, even at that point, you could see was, was downwards. Even, yeah. even in the games they were winning, they weren't playing very well. And it, it had you could see that it had gone and you could see that Nuno was not going to be able to turn it around quite clearly by the time they got to the United game. Um, I'm not saying that's where Everton are with, with Benitez, but if they put in two or three more performances like they did last night, then he, he will he, it, it will become untenable, basically. Wherever yeah. they, even if they'd managed to, to, to somehow claw some results together, if they play like they did against Wolves without that heart, desire, uh, or all the rest of it, he just won't be able to survive. Just, just picking up on points that you both made there, um, if 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 we characterise Mashiri as being, uh, you know, the the, the absent landlord, he's not there very frequently. But when he does get involved, to use some of the characteristics that you described, Roger, um, yeah. he might he might be impatient, he might be inconsistent, he might be reactionary. Uh, what what does that say then about? Because there's also another, at least another two levels of management with it or there should be at least within this organisation, one which is, is the chairman and secondly um, his board, isn't it incumbent upon them to be saying, first of all to Mashiri, look, we've got this under control because we've been in football, in the case of Bill, you know, 30-odd th- th- years. I've seen it all before. I know exactly what's happening. I've got the managers back. I'm talking to him. We're doing all the right things. All we need from you, Mr Mashiri, is consistency in terms of providing us with the funds that you can provide. Cause I think the stadium is a big issue, as you say, Paul. Yeah. Um, but we know where we're going because we've agreed a strategy. We've agreed a plan. And if we get knocked off course a little bit by th- three really bad um, losses, and even if, you know, uh, we see players with bad body language and arguing with each other, you know, all, all of those issues that we saw last night, it doesn't matter because we know the direction that we're going in. That's the situation that Mashiri ought to find himself in. And the big question for me is, 
if he's not in that position where either his chairman or his CEO is picking up the phone, or even his director of football is picking up the phone and saying that to him, then surely he has to do something about it to protect the investment that he's made so far and um, the future funding of the stadium. And the answer to that is not just fire the manager and bring somebody else in. Oh, I'm not suggesting for one minute that firing the manager is the right thing to do. Personally, I would not have appointed him in the first place. But as you said earlier, we are where we are. Unless there is a coherent plan, unless we have an obvious direction of travel that everybody in the organisation from top to bottom is bought into, then there is absolutely no point in dispensing with the services of Benitez and hiring another chap who will fall foul of the same problems within 12 to 18 months. It's absolutely pointless. But my position is that events, I think, will overtake us and remove that very sound logic from the table. Because when 30, 35,000 Evertonians are booing the team off the pitch, when Everton have lost another Merseyside derby with a former Liverpool manager in our dugout, I don't think there'll be anywhere for the board to go other than to dispense with his services, which may or may not be the right thing to do. But because we haven't had a plan and because there isn't that common purpose, those shared values, that clarity of communication that we've spoken about since time immemorial, then you are a victim of circumstance. And if the fates conspire against you, there could be nothing left that they'll be able to do. Hmm. You know, you're applying business logic, very sound business logic, Paul. And, and, and Paul, too, in inverted commas, you're, you're, you're applying your knowledge of football from your extensive journalistic experience. But Everton is a curate's egg of a club. We all know that. We know personally that we can be the greatest team in Britain. We can play the greatest football. We can and should have been European champions in the 80s. But things happened and events got in the way. And that's just what happens with Everton at times. You, know? you see, I, Roger, I don't accept that we need to be a curate's egg. And I think... Of course I don't accept. I'm just saying we are. No, I'm just I, making I, that as a statement. I, I, what I'm saying is the acknowledgement that we're a curate's egg, in a sense allows the people who need to be making decisions not to make them because, oh, it's just Everton. It's just the way that we, exactly. it's just the way that we operate. Exactly. And, I don't, and I don't think we should give them that, that space to do that. I think we should, you know, hold their feet to the fire and say, this is not just down to um, the fact that our two central defenders can't defend very well if they don't have a decent midfield in front of them or that Benitez has made a couple of strange decisions or that Marcel Brands hasn't been able to buy the players that he wants, or probably more importantly, hasn't been able to get rid of the players that he didn't want. Um, They're they're consequences of, of, of other people's actions. They're not, they're not the cause. Undoubtedly. They're not the cause themselves. And somebody, and it should be Mishiri, but somebody has to say that this, this part of the business has to be addressed and it has to be addressed very quickly because we will just end up in an endless loop of doing exactly what we've done over the last five, nearly now six years, um, unless we're extraordinarily lucky. And you, and you, can't, you can't build a £600 million business and a £500 million stadium on the basis that we're going to be lucky. 
Of, of course you can't, but let's just turn Bill's comments from the last AGM, where we have this revered board and clubs say, what would Everton do? Let me turn that around and say, what would Manchester United do? What would Chelsea do? What would Tottenham do? What would Liverpool do in this situation? What would Leicester City do? What might West Ham do in this situation? Would they have appointed someone like Benitez in the first instance? Would they have appointed somebody like Marco Silva? Would they have got themselves into this predicament? What would other clubs do? Not just their board, but what would their fans do? And this is the key question for me. Are Evertonians, match going and otherwise, a little bit too tolerant of mediocrity? Would you have not seen banners at Old Trafford, at Tottenham, maybe at Arsenal even, and certainly at Liverpool? Would you have not seen banners against the owner, against the board, if this kind of nonsense had been going on at those clubs? Paul, you you cover West Ham. I mean, you, you've seen, I suppose, to some extent, the um, the effectiveness of uh, fans getting on onto the board or getting onto the own, owners. Yeah, um, in in many ways, though, you have to say that the owners of West Ham, you could say, um, made the right decision in, in in ignoring the fans because I think most of the fans did not want David Moyes back. A lot of mm. them were absolutely dead set against it and and despite what I thought was a pretty good job at the time in his first spell there um, he hadn't really managed to dispel the impression that he was a, a, a dinosaur manager from another time um, buying a living who, who didn't understand modern football I've never believed that was the case personally and, and I always thought they never should have let him go in in the first place but I do remember there being a, quite a backlash from many West Ham fans when, when they brought him back. Um, and it's ended up being a, an absolutely outstanding decision by the board. So in, in that case, I think the owners of that club were, were right to ignore the, the wishes of, of the fans. West Ham are, are probably a, a, a strange case because um, there is and probably always will be a huge section of the fan base who will never forgive the owners for the stadium move. Um, and, and we'll always have that bubbling away in the background. And I don't think there is anything now the owners could possibly do really um, to give them what they want, because those people will never have the experience of the bowling ground at the London Stadium. So that, that's kind of a very strange situation that, that not many other clubs will ever find themselves in. Um, but those, those fans are, are going to keep protesting against the board, yep. regardless of, of what happens on the pitch. Um are Evertonians too um, meek and, and too ready to accept mediocrity? I don't think they are really. Maybe they, maybe you don't see banners in in the stands, but I think you can tell, you know, from talking to people and from watching it all unfold on on social media, and you can tell from the reaction of fans in the stadium that they're not they're not happy. And I, I think the club is is well aware of that. Whether Mashiri really is or not is is anybody's guess because he's not really here enough to. Um, to be that on top of it, but as Paul says, you'd like you'd like to think there was someone at the club making that regular contact and keeping him aware of those things because I think that disconnect is part of the problem at Everton. I think the, the owner is a bit disconnected and too distant. And as I said before, I think the first thing he should do this week is turn up, whether it's to the training ground or just to the match. I think he needs to be there as a face and, and show people, I'm here, I'm watching, you know, I've got my eyes on you, basically, at the very least. It's whether he actually cares, isn't it? 
You know, it's all very well and good. He's put 500 million pounds into the coffers and we've largely wasted it. And that he may or may not be funding a large part of the stadium. And that's a marvellous thing, which is long overdue. And Everton need that new stadium, that increased capacity and the increased commercial opportunities that come with it. But it's whether he actually cares and whether he's really just in it to sell the club in three or four years time for a jolly nice profit, provided it stayed in the Premier League. You know, is he is he our Mike Ashley? Is he our Randy Lerner? Is he our Ellis Short? Because, you know, he came in with some fine words and actually we've not we've not progressed. All the stats say we've gone backwards points, league position. Um, We've managed to spend an awful lot of money. We've managed to churn through four or five different managers to go backwards. And does Mashiri really care? Because I'd argue if he cared, we'd have heard from him by now. He's a strange character, isn't he? I, I think um, it's impossible to, to believe that he doesn't care at all, whether he cares enough is yeah. probably the, the, um, the question. The ambition is, is definitely genuine. Uh, the things he said when he, when he came in, he definitely believed were achievable. Unfortunately, the, the people he's um, given the keys to the, the castle to have made a mess of, of trying to realise that ambition and the club is currently paying for a lot of the mistakes that have been made by him and, and by the people he brought in to, to run the club for him. Um, we're probably not going to see many of those mistakes unpicked for another two or three transfer windows when a lot of the, the bad buyers that are now stuck on the, the books without really a future at the club, you know, biding their time until their contracts run out, are all gone. Um, and unfortunately, that spending has come with the consequence that they're now right up against the cost control rules in the, yeah. the Premier League, and as we all know. Um, so they're in, they're in, it's a rock and a hard place situation, really, isn't it? But I, I still think Mashiri is, is someone who cares and, and wants to see those ambitions realised. But the stadium build has put everything on hold. He's not suddenly going to be spending huge amounts of money every transfer window, partly because he can't. And, and I, don't, I doubt he, he would dare risk breaking um, the rules to do it. Um, but he knows as, as a businessman that getting the stadium built and, and securing the finance for it is the, the number one objective for the club right now. So I think if you asked anyone and they gave you an honest answer, Everton, that the one, the one objective really that the squad has to achieve this season is not to get them in the, get themselves in danger of being relegated because that is the, the big question mark hanging over the stadium build. Would, would it still go ahead if the club was not in the Premier League? Absolutely. So, so Paul, with your business hat on, when Farhad finally decides to pick up the phone to you and ask for your words of wisdom, um, what would you tell him to do? I think he needs to clarify what he expects out of the club in, over the next three years before the stadium's built. And he and needs does he to... need to do that publicly? Does he need to communicate that publicly or just to his, to his executive team? Well, I think he then, he then needs to decide whether his executive team and whether his board is fit for, for, for whatever that purpose is. Um, and, if, and if not, traditionally what happens is that you invest in new management. Yep. So you bring in a new chairman, you bring in a new executive team, you strengthen the board, and then you give it to them to run. You, if, you, if, you have, if you bring in good, new good people and you give them a clear plan, and a clear strategy. This is what I want you. Well, actually, just this is what I want from you. It's it's then their responsibility, and that probably would suit Mashiri down to the ground because, uh, as 
Paul, you you very correctly identify, you know, he's not hands-on day-to-day and he's not a natural communicator neither. So it would actually do him a lot of good uh, to do that. So it's decide exactly what you want out of the next sort of three years before the stadium's built. Decide whether the people that you've got running the business are good enough to get you to where you want to be. And if not, make the decisions that you've made with the football managers, make the same type of decisions with the executive and with the chairman and put people in place who can communicate and more importantly, execute what is required. And and who, if any, do you retain from the existing team then? Let's leave the football manager uh, to one side, but are you saying a complete clean sweep of the the board, the chairman, chief executive? What about the director of football? I, I think... I think those three positions would all be in if any anybody did an objective review from outside the business, those three positions would all be in severe doubt. What do you think, Paul, number two? Um, it, it would be rare for a, a football club to, to clean house in, in such a dramatic way as that. I can't remember the last time that um, a football business did anything quite as, as drastic, so I'd be surprised if if Everton did, Mishiri certainly doesn't seem minded to. Should they do it at the time of acquisition, don't they, Paul? You know, that's what's happened at Newcastle. It's what happened when Roman came into Chelsea. It's what happened when Sheikh Mansour arrived at Manchester City. The new broom swept clean. Are you just saying it's too late to do that? Well, it doesn't normally happen under these circumstances, no. Um, no, of course. Mishiri's, Mishiri's takeover was a, was a very different kind of takeover to the ones that you mentioned there. It wasn't a, a clean sweep. It wasn't a a total buy-in straight away. It was a slow burner, if you like. And he he does seem um, willing to let others in in the business take the responsibility for all the day-to-day stuff. Um, Certainly an argument to be made that some sort of shake-up at at boardroom level needs to happen. Um, Personally, I think it's very hard to judge uh, the director of football at the moment because... It, we don't really know what restrictions he's working under. It does seem that every time the owner appoints a manager, he's determined to give the manager exactly what he wants. Whereas at most successful clubs, or even the ones that are middling successful, or even the, some of the, the less successful ones, the better way of working is for the position in the role of the, the person in the position of the director of football is the one who... Um, does more of the identifying and recruiting and signing of people. And it's not, oh, the manager knows this guy. Can we have him, please? Um, The owner takes a step back and lets the director of football make those decisions and and run and run the club. So in a strange way, the the one area that Mashiri has meddled in um, transfers is the one area he's he's messed up the most, really. I think he's he's muddied the waters and made the... um, um, relationships between some of the people involved in recruiting at Everton quite difficult because you never quite, if you speak to agents for, for years, they were never quite sure who to deal with at the club. You know, who, who do I speak to? Who, who's, who's ultimately in charge of, of buying the players? How do I get my player to your club? Who do I need to speak to? And you'd be told different things by different people and that's a bit messy. So I wouldn't personally like to see brands go. I know there are people who, who are out for him and, and have been for for quite some time, but um, the people I speak to all, all think he is a brilliant football executive. I don't think we've had a chance to see that yet 
because I don't think he's been allowed to do the job properly, frankly. I think he needs more control rather than less. And if he fails then, fine, then he's, he's, a, he's been a dreadful appointment. But he's, he's had to, spend, to slowly spend years unpicking huge mistakes that were made in the past. And he's still, he's done quite a good job of that side of it, of getting rid of players and actually um, managing to bring some money in for some of them too. It has been nothing short of miraculous for, for some of the people they've had to, to shift. But there are still people there he can't get rid of. Um, and until he does, it's difficult to judge how successful he's been. I just, I come back to the, the point I've made, you know, two or three managers ago, really, um, that most successful clubs work from a pattern of the director of football makes most of the hiring and firing decisions, sets the identity, the style of play and recruits, recruits the players for that. And a, ma- a manager who comes in knows what the identity and the style of play and the direction of travel is at the club because he's been recruited to provide that. Everton are kind of lurching from one managerial extreme to another a lot of the time and, and giving each manager um, a hell of a lot of leeway in, in who comes in and what style of football to play. So it means there's constant churn in formation and, and tactics and, and the idea behind it all. And I think Everton need to, need to get their identity and their philosophy right first. And then every time you appoint a manager, you appoint a manager who is going to fit into that philosophy. Otherwise, eventually you're going to get into these messy situations where you're just lurching from one extreme to another too much. Yeah, I agree. I, I agree with a lot of that, Paul. Roger, we've got a couple of minutes left. What's um, what's your analysis of the of the situation and and your view of what we should do going forward? I think it's I think it's pretty clear. I agree with you know maybe boring for the listeners, but I agree with you both that until and until there is a clear plan with some obvious targets, and um, we are convinced that people we have in position are able to meet that plan um we will lurch from one managerial appointment sacking appointment sacking appointment sacking and i fear that is what will happen here because finally events will overtake mishiri and despite his i i don't think he's a sort of um you know hard-nosed businessman if i could you know take somebody like abramovich who you know, it's been ruthless. He's fired the manager because he's not happy and he's brought another one in the following day. I don't think Mashiri is that kind of ruthless. And the flip side of that meaning, I don't think he's tough enough to stick to his guns and back Benitez when all goes wrong. I think he will be, I think he's driven by events. I think he gets blown by the prevailing mood. The next shiny thing, I think his commitment isn't full in terms of attention span. Obvious financially, it has been. Um, but I don't think we can lose sight of the absolutely appalling attitude of some of our players that has been around now for three, four, five years. Um, and they don't wear the shirt with pride. Why don't they wear the shirt with pride? Are they overpaid prima donnas? Or is there a cosy club culture there that sees any former player getting a job on the coaching staff? And they know ultimately it's the easy life. Come to Everton, you have a lovely time. Not much is expected. Win a few games roll your sleeves up and fight in the derby once in a twice a season and the fans will be happy. Um, so I think it's a mess. Uh, I'm surprised that it's actually deteriorated quite so quickly. Take no delight in it whatsoever. I want us to be successful. 
but that team and that performance last night is one of the uh, one of the worst teams I've seen selected in the last four or five years. When I looked at it, I thought this is extraordinary how we've come to this level. Um, that you, perhaps you might have had Pickford, Richarlison, and Alan as players of quality on the pitch. The rest distinctly mediocre, and that's five hundred million pounds to get us there. That's a very very sad state of affairs. Hopefully, we can beat the um, you know we we can beat the precedent of the the. the New manager bounce against Tottenham and, you know, Crystal Palace have won at Man City and historically we had a decent record there. Maybe we can go there and get a result. And then maybe we'll get a couple of dodgy decisions in the derby and, and we might nick a 1-0. Unfortunately, I think um, that the writing is is somewhat on the wall um, and just getting rid of the manager won't fix anything. I think the owner needs to step up and, and, and actually make it clear what his ambition is and what the strategy is for the next two or three years. And if that is mid-table mediocrity until we get into a shiny new stadium, then so be it. Because we had plenty of mid-table mediocrity in the last few years and um, we just get used to it. Good points, Roger. Good points. Gents, thank you both very much. Um, enjoyed listening to you both. And I think we raised some interesting points. So um, no doubt we'll get together in a few months' time, probably uh, perhaps, let's say, af- after the transfer window in January. And uh, we can examine exactly where we are then so in the meantime thank you very much and uh, up to toffees thank you looking forward to it thanks paul thank you paul thank you roger